Welcome to The Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts us all. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. This episode of The Broadband Bunch is sponsored by ETI Software, your zero-touch automation experts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. I'm Joe Coldabella and we are at the Broadband Access event, making the most of our nation's investment in digital equity. That's a mouthful there. Uh, we're in Cleveland, Ohio, and this event is hosted by the, the Pew Charitable Trusts. Joining me is the Director of Research and Evaluation at Jobs for the Future, Felicia Sullivan. Felicia. Welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Oh, well, thank you very much for inviting me in. I appreciate it. Hey, it's, it's great to have you yeah. on. Um, before we dive into the topic at hand, I would love it if you could sort of just uh, give the listeners sort of just a, you know, a, a brief overview of yourself and then um, a little bit about your organization. Sure. Um, so I actually have come to um, this. It's interesting. Like I am someone who was very immersed in issues around broadband and telecom policy, probably about uh 24, 25 years ago when I was doing a lot of work at the community level around a community technology and making community technology centers okay. uh, accessible to people. So at that time, it was really bringing desktop computers to people and, and we had sort of dial-up internet and seeing the advent then of broadband. And just as I was leaving that organization, you know, broadband was starting to come in and trying to make aware folks the benefit of, of broadband. Um, I have since left that kind of environment to move more into um, higher ed and academia, and now I'm at a, a national nonprofit doing research. And um, I'm still very surprised that this is still the issue we're talking about, although now instead of digital divide, we're talking about digital inclusion. It's still the same thing. Some people have access, some people don't. Um, there's still the same thing. There's some technology in places and, so, and other places it's not. Um, the only issue here is it's a much more expensive technology than a desktop computer. Indeed. It's an entire, entire infrastructure that has to be built, and it requires a lot more actors. In, in the building of it. So, um, yeah, so I feel like I've come roundabout to, to this. And, um, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've always been uh, working uh, on behalf of communities who've found themselves somehow on the, on the not so resourceful side of things. So that's, um, I feel in good stead here. <laughs> like, we're still solving issues that get people uh, connected, get them the resources, get them the trajectories that will help them have like the kinds of lives they want to have. Awesome. And um, so Jobs for the Future, um, what, what, what is their mission? Oh, sure. So Jobs for the Future is a um, national nonprofit. We're about 40 years old. Um, we are primarily an intermediary, which means we work between various systems. And our, our primary mission is to really um, uh, get to economic advancement for all, primarily by ensuring that the workforce and education systems work together to make sure people have the kinds of economic opportunities, good jobs, quality jobs, that they can have sort of sustain their families and, and have a quality um, job and career. So the, and, and, and the systems are not well aligned, and so we are there to help various system actors work uh, more effectively together and help solve problems. Okay, and now more than ever, broadband is, is really a part of that. And so it's it's kind of like, you know, the Michael Corleone, you know, you thought you were out, and now they pull you back exactly, in. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I think the thing is, is, is you definitely need that conduit. You need that access to, I mean, 
communication, information, so much of our day-to-day -day lives are dependent upon that connectivity, but there's the connectivity, but once you have the connectivity and the access, people need to understand how they can use it. Um, it needs to be affordable. Um, they need to understand how they can apply it to their own lives. And then there need to be folks who can help guide individuals who don't even have understanding of like the broad range of, I mean, we work with populations that don't even have um, bank accounts, much less, you know, sort of cash apps that can, can, can transfer information, you know, cash, no, uh, you know, that kind of thing. That, no, that's a, that's a great point. When, when we were in, uh, in one of the sessions today, someone made that point in terms of asking folks to raise their hand and, you know, the, the, People who are in the broadband industry, the people in, the, we all have access to it, so we almost like don't even think about it. But there's a lot of underserved folks in the world, and and they need that, uh, not only access, but they also need that education in terms of just yeah. kind of ramping up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, you were definitely on a on a really diverse panel today, and mm -hmm. and one of the things that they asked you guys to do was to sort of highlight two things in, in your specific area that, that really need to get um, laser-like focus. If you could sort of like um, just share that with our sure. audience, that would be awesome. Sure. I mean, I think one of the challenges because of where JFF sits and, and you know, my role as a sort of researcher is to look at how various things are working or not working. And um, I, these are a lot of different systems trying to work together. So the workforce system is one thing. Education systems, it can be three or four things. It can be a, a higher ed, both private and public, um, it can be K through 12, it can be workforce training or other training providers. Um, there's then also um, employers uh, and then the, the learner workers themselves. So it's a system where everybody has something they're trying to do. They're not all going in the same direction and they all have some different things. So one of the things that's really uh, critical is that the actors in this space, um, the kind of uh, in the workforce education space that especially are thinking about um, digital jobs, um, access to information and technology are all working together and trying to understand how can we make these systems work together. Um, and we need to learn what people are doing on the ground. And so that is one area of like, what are communities doing to work together with different multi-sector partnerships? And where is the, the funding and support to help those partnerships thrive? And then what's working? And how do we get it to other communities so they can see what's working? And that's always gonna be different in that other community because that other community is different. So that's sure. definitely one area. I think the other area we've been doing a lot of work in is trying to, um, train and get upskilled the workforce that's needed now and in the immediate future, um, especially in sort of tech sector type jobs or tech occupations, um, the, um, the uh, cybersecurity uh, analysts, the cloud computing uh, practitioners, now also what are gonna increasingly be needing the broadband installers. Sure, um, and, you know, and, and that training needs to happen. Who's gonna pay for that training? Who is going to convince a young person or a an older person, like this is a job for you and you can do it even if they don't see themselves as climbing a pole or splicing fiber or um, administering a cloud system or you know figuring out analytics related to um, to, to security uh, applications. So I, I think these are, these are the challenges that we need to get people to understand what are the in-demand jobs, that they want those in-demand jobs. And then we have to convince um, employers that even if someone has not gone through a two-year or four-year degree program, they've gone through a shorter term with some experience, that they also are ready to kind of come and work for you. And so I think the, those things are here now, and I think they're only gonna amplify and 
move faster as as these this, these funds roll out into communities and and more and more folks have access and our workforce is where it's at and so we need we need rapid training but we also need to get people um, well skilled into those jobs with the supports they need um because yeah that's a that's a great point and I guess when I when I when I hear that I'm thinking like so what is the the barrier that's sort of like stopping this from all happening is it a question of, of awareness is is it a question of training it's a bunch of different things and so i think one on the individual learner worker level of things there's a number of barriers there's awareness they don't even know these jobs exist right. or if they do know they they exist they don't think they can do them so like if i'm a you know uh 18 year old uh, uh young woman um living in texas and i'm like I, i'm not a pole climber i'm not i'm not i can't be a a, a cybersecurity uh ninja specialist you know that that kind of thing so i think there's and then even if you thought you could do that you're not sure like where should i go um can i uh, say i'm a i'm a an older worker with a family like can i take off 16 weeks to do this training i have bills to pay i have a family to support um, i have children to take care of and so i think there's all sorts of barriers at the individual level and then there's barriers you know uh, all, like all these systems have different incentives you know Higher ed and community colleges want to graduate people. They don't necessarily want to get someone through a, a short-term training program who will go into the workforce. Training providers want folks to get into the workforce. Employers want skilled employees. They're not necessarily willing to take a risk on someone who just got trained or just is new to the workforce. So the incentives are all over the place. And so are the catch-22s, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you have to sort of help smooth them together and get them to see how they could all work together and get the incentives to align. And some of that is policy, some of it is partnerships, some of it is proof points. Uh, it's it's a whole bunch of different things. So, uh, you know, it, it's a really interesting question because I think that um, just in terms of listening to folks in the industry is that there, like you said, there's this river of money coming. There's all this opportunity, yet um, there isn't that sort of um, uh, tidal wave of folks who want to come into this industry that that's not a job, but it's definitely an opportunity for a career, a well-paying career. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's. I, I wish there was there was a an easy solution. Yeah, I mean, I think if you think about one of the things JFF works on too is around career navigation systems and okay. career pathways, and so we just one. If you're a young person, we get very little career net. No matter what, whether you're a stellar student, a social student, a student who wants to drop out, nobody gets really good career navigation or counseling or advising. On, in general, I'm not. I'm not knocking folks who are doing a stellar job. And if you are, you're you're most likely in a a career and technical education program, right? So like those folks probably get the the most and best sort of career navigation support. But just your average high well, schooler. Just, I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off, but is that is that because um, there's an easier track for folks? To I think follow? that's part. I think that's part of it. So often those career and technical education programs are aligned with well-established industries and sectors like construction, like electricians, plumbers, welders. And I think what and I think one of the panels today, um, you know, uh, uh, I think uh, uh, John Sher was talking about. Oh, we need a sector strategy, and like right now, there's not like a clear pathway for any kind of digital job like so we're you know and and there's multiple jobs within this kind of range like everything from those 
the installers and building the infrastructure to maintaining the infrastructure to building the applications that are going to run off these conduits to people who will support other folks in using these applications. So there's a wide range of jobs. And when we've talked to employers, you know, um, you know, say, uh, someone who's gone through something like the Google IT Support Professional Certificate. I've talked to an employer like, how do you think about this this certificate and someone who comes in as an IT support professional? What's the career pathway? And so for them, it's like, well, you come in for the help desk, and then if you're in a good situation, they'll be you'll have mentors, and those mentors will help you understand the range of things you could be doing in this in this occupation, whether you want to go into cybersecurity or network administration or cloud applications or um, more hardcore, you know, um, the electrical systems and and those. So like. And so it's like, okay, it's sort of this informal mentoring within a job you get, but there's no, there's no set apprenticeship program. There's no set um, career pathway. It's not clearly defined. Um, it, it's a bunch of different things. And so I think it's, and even something like, you know, telcos and sort of the, that range, sometimes it's aligned with the electrical unions. Sometimes it's aligned with others, you know, so I think, and, and the, the increasing skills, Needed, so I think there's just like there's not a lot of coordination, information, or even even understanding of, of what this is as a sector and what are the career pathways, and then how do we support people moving along that, and like what are the steps you could take, and what does your career trajectory look like? Right. No. As you were just talking there, I'm like, it seems like that's a, a real problem that we almost need to sort of throw back to a different generation mm -hmm. where where they had you know things specifically laid out mm -hmm. so that you knew what milestones you had to hit yeah. so then you knew um, which path to take because I think that's a, a big problem is that folks um, there's so much opportunity there's yeah. so many different paths that, that they could go but I almost would love it if, if they created tracks that at least gave sort of um, signposts and obviously if someone decides to, to deviate from those signposts that's cool yeah. but if they have that sort of uh, path uh, I, that path, I think it makes it a, a little more easier, a little more digestible. It's like, all right, listen, I get the certificate from Google and then I've, I can go, you know, this way. Yeah. It, it would be really nice. Yeah, and I think, what you know, one of the things that JFF uh, certainly supports are things that are stackable. So, like, I'm a high school student. I don't think I'm quite college bound. I'm kind of done with school. So I'm going to, maybe I'll take this Google IT certificate Maybe I'll get some job. Then, like, oh, I don't really want. I I, I want to do more. And so, what we would like is for, and what some colleges we've worked with have done is like, okay, you did that Google IT certificate. You don't have to do our intro 101 class in this area because we're going to take that certificate as evidence that you've done the intro work, and we're going to count it as credit. And now we're going. You can go into the next course that this was a prerequisite for. So the idea is like anything for us. Anything that comes into the marketplace as a credential or a certificate should be able to stack. Someone shouldn't be in a dead-end job that doesn't have a next step if that's what they so, in, in, you know, like I've done, I could do X number of years of training and experience and now all of that work has that's meaning, meaningless. You know, I think the military does a very good job of working with higher ed to figure out the skills and aptitudes that you gain out of a military career and mapping those to general education requirements and what's the next step. So I think that's what we need is sort of like what, what how does the these lapse into into a next step so no one feels you don't have to decide whether you're a college goer now but you have the opportunity to be a college goer four years from now when you feel you're ready and what you've done already can count towards that so i think that's we want a system where 
even if I'm like, I'm college bound student, it's clear I'm going to like get scholarships, but hey, I don't want to do that. I want to go, I want to go be, you know, uh, this seems like an opportunity in this digital jobs area. I'm going to do that. You know, so people feel like this is not like a lesser pathway, that there's multiple pathways and you can always build on them. Okay. And so I'm um, just out of curiosity in terms of the the Google certificates, yeah. the, the feedback you're getting, is it one of those things where um, I would love to get it from both sides, yeah. from, from the student who's getting the certificate as well as, as the as the uh, the company are. Yeah. Is it one of those things where it's a, a net positive because they, they it has a tangible skill that, that they yeah. can use to sort of start their way down the path? So I can say JFF, what we've been doing is we've been working closely with Google, first on their IT career, their IT support professional certificate. And now they have a range of career certificates, one for cybersecurity, one for data analyst, another for project management. There's, a, there's like four or five new ones. And one thing I can tell you that we've talked to students, we've talked to you know um, uh, program facilitators, whether they're college professors or whether they're community-based um, program facilitators. Um, in general, folks really like the curriculum. It's very high quality. It's very, um, it's it's actually very energetic and and forward-thinking. Um, and and I think it still needs some supplement with some skills that you need in the workforce that are like communication skills, collaboration skills, some of those um, uh, professional skills. Or sure, less, le less hard skills, but yes, stuff that everybody needs yes, to. Yes, that you, like no matter what industry you're in, you need these skills. These are the durable skills that, you, you know, a problem solving mindset, a, you know, self-directed attitude, the independent kind of worker attitude. So I think entrepreneurial mindset. So I think that those kinds of certificates coupled with some of that kind of training and then with the ability to actually go and work and get some experience, whether even if it's on a short-term contract, you know, those things together can create some confidence in employers. Because the problem with employers is they have a job, they want that job filled today, and they don't, they, right now, employers aren't so invested in, I'm going to have to spend another year training this person to be where I want them to be. It's not like our traditional apprentice programs where folks kind of are stepped through gradually more increasing skill sets. And so, it's hard to convince them that they should pick this person who's done like a three-month certificate program, did a little bit of contract work against someone who completed their bachelor's degree. Sure, you know, sure. And we're, we're working and some employers are starting to move in the direction of like skills-based hiring and not just defaulting to the bachelor's degree. But there's still that kind of, the bachelor's degree or associate's degree still signal something or certain traditional apprenticeship programs signal confidence that this person so these credential programs are not the evidence is, isn't quite there yet and that's one of the things that jff at least my team and others at the organization are trying to do really try to build the evidence base that yes these things certainly people get through them they definitely are attracting a much more diverse talent pool than you might traditionally find in say a computer um, a management is program or an it program um, and you know and we are seeing folks leaving with a, a, some tangible net positive, whether it's like they continued on to education, they got a job, they got increased earnings, but we're not sure what the long-term impact is. Like, are they still there a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? Did they get a promotion? Did they move to the next level? Um, that's not quite clear yet. And there's so many of these things. So Google is a major brand with major resources behind it. Um, IBM has a similar thing. Verizon's working on another thing. Um, there's a whole range of these these um, these training certificates out there, um, countless ones. And and it's hard in the marketplace to understand what is 
quality? What's worth, if I'm a learner, should I spend my time doing this? Will I get a job? Is it worth my time? Sometimes they're very, like code academies are very expensive. Right. So like, you know, that, that, that could like, should I invest X amount of dollars to do this? And time as and, well. Yeah, and, time, and like for, for, for those folks who are, are kind of most economically struggling, which is the population JFF cares about, like I can't take off 16 whole weeks and not work. You know, I, my mortgage is due or my rent payment is due and I've got to buy groceries and I've got a kid and that I've got to pick up from school. And so there's there's just those realities, um, certainly programs that have make a bit more flexibility in them and can kind of. So I think the other thing is we need programs that allow uh, learner workers to to kind of get the supports that they need. And it's going to be different for every person and every person's context is slightly different. Some folks you know, uh, need a lot of support. Like they have a lot of things going on and they need a lots of supports. Others need a little bit of support. Um, everybody needs um, career navigation, career coaching, um, and a connection, social capital connection to an employer. No, and and uh, that's really interesting that a lot of the, the private sector are, are stepping up in terms of offering these certificates. Yeah, Google created its IT support professional certificate because it, its own employees were not coming with the skills that they needed. So they developed the curriculum for a set of their employees. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so that's yeah. and then decided like, oh, we could turn this into something. Uh, and they also have the goal of wanting to diversify the tech workforce and, and, make, and, and maybe modernizing some of the um, IT support materials that are out there. Um, but they, um, and then I think they, they found that this was useful and that was is beneficial. So what other things could we be developing curricula for? Okay, and then just out of curiosity, so they're, they've, they're, they're these, these companies are stepping up and creating these certificate programs. Is there, is there sort of a, a path to employment at these places? No, that's the problem is sort of you, you promote this as like this is the Google, and folks think I'm going to get a job at Google. Well, 99% of Google's workforce are highly technically trained people who've gone through many years of computer science and engineering right. uh, training. Um, and so, th but they are a major company who has suppliers um, and could be pushing on their suppliers. Same thing for, um, you know, any major corporation that's doing this as a, a Verizon and IBM, any of these companies could be pushing on their suppliers. Um, I think the other thing is, is it's a whole, and, and uh, SHRM, which represents um, hiring managers, um, did a survey of employers, um, CEOs, so CEOs, managers, HR professionals, and workers around some of these short-term credentials, and they all think they're very valuable, but so far no one's willing to make that the only hiring decision or the major hiring decision for a, a role. Okay. Yeah. Because you no, know, it's funny. Before you said that, um, I you know, it's like you hear the the Google name, Google certificates. You think, oh well, th maybe someone's got a, a path there. Yeah. So, but what it's doing is it's educating. It's not necessarily for for Google alone. Yeah, and they made it pretty agnostic because it's not Google's products or Google's. I mean, it's 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 like it's their edu it's their brand on an educational product, but the educational product is pretty platform agnostic and it's, 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 it's not there to promote Google's products or, or brands. So that's, that was intentional on their part, but it also means that they, they aren't able to hire folks who are coming from it. So, but that this is then dependent on like, how do you work with employers? That's the big problem with any workforce sure, development. Right. How do you build up networks and of employers, and this is where at the local level, you know, those who do workforce development, that's what they're doing day in and day out is 
is building those relationships, building those partnerships. And I think this will be true too with like, as, as broadband is rolling out, as those local ISPs are, are building that last mile, as, as you have sort of the, the regional entities working, how do you engage, they clearly have a need. They have a need for, for people. I was just in a panel where like, we have all these jobs we need to fill. So, but how do you find the talent and are you, you know, are there other places you could be looking and how do you promote this as a, as a job that people want and, you know, and they think they could do and that they, that is more, you know, is very, as starting out a very nice salary that you can really, you know, have a, a, a good starting lifestyle on. And, and the remarkable thing about it is that, uh, you know, in terms of the folks that we've interviewed, you know, they, we hear stories all the time of people starting out at the, the entry level, just yeah. thinking like, oh, I'm just going to do this and then I'll, I'll do something else. And then, you know, a year turns into three years yep. and then they've got a full blown career yep. that has longevity to it, which, which now with the sort of the ev- evolution of, of um, the workforce it's like, that's, that's good to have that kind of security. Yep, yep. So I think in addition to sort of pathways and having sort of like, here's a sector, here's the steps. I think the other thing you can do with um, uh, individuals who are, who, are, who are looking to build new skills or enter the workforce is, I think you could build up their capacity to think about what am I good at? What would I like to do? What kind of lifestyle or money would I like to be making? And then have the skills to like search out, like what's possible? Where's the, there's resources, there's tons of resources right. to help you with this. Um, so I think we also don't help people have the kinds of skills that help them navigate or find their own answers. Sure, right? No, that's and a good so, point. Right, so I think that's the other thing is building up. I mean, I've had careers that I, like I remember running a community technology center with a bunch of computers. I knew nothing about networking. I knew nothing about HTML and I was like teaching myself. And this is before there was a lot of stuff on the internet. I had to go get books and, and stuff. So I think you can, it, you know, like you can teach yourself, you can find people who know and, and help you. and. And so I think we need to help facilitate that as well as like, where can people go to find information and, and learn how to do things and um, build, build kind of some of the knowledge they need to make that next step or make a decision and connect them to the right people and resources. No, it's a, it's a great point. Um, I would love it if we just, in terms of, you know, um, future for jobs, in terms of, of automation, uh, VR, yeah. AR, yeah. You know, like, how do you see that in terms of, of just in terms of the landscape? Sure. In so right now what we're seeing definitely for VR, and I'm sure AR is out there, um, at JFF, we definitely are working on some projects where VR is being used as a training medium and sort of uh, for workplace communications. Um, we were just talking to a, 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 an entity that had developed um, a virtual reality for certified nursing assistants so that they could kind of do some of their clinical hours, oh, hopefully great. in a virtual environment, which actually turned out to be very beneficial for those who need a little more time to process, who maybe English was not their first language. So they could kind of test it out in this virtual environment. So we definitely are seeing that in a training environment. We definitely have seen that it works best if, if maybe some of those things are also developed in partnership with the constituency or the group you want to target. So we had a group of young adults they did a training module on com- workplace communications and, and the style and tone of it didn't quite mesh with them. So they started working with the company to maybe develop modules that had a little more their kind of vibe to it. So that I think there's that training interventions that can be developed. In terms of automation, I mean, I think history has shown that there's always trepidation around automation. Automation definitely does destroy jobs, but it creates a lot of new jobs. 
And so I think the, the issue with automation now is the pace of it is very fast. So you have folks who are um, rapidly out of jobs and then the skill sets they need take time to develop. And for some folks, they may not have the time to develop them to the capacity where they could replace that job that they had. So I think, um, we're, you know, I think automation is something to be aware of, to understand is your job at risk for being automated out. And so I think, right. right. Everywhere at the scale too, not just in terms of, of um, low skilled labor. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I mean, lawyers are being automated out. <laughs> like there's, <laughs> there's, there's careers you would not think like are gonna be automated out. Like certain kinds of high level financial careers are being automated out. Right. So I think um, really the, what you're at risk for automation is whenever there's a task that can be root, is routine and is routinized, even if it's like cognitive tasks, if there's like a, a repetitive process to it, um, and um, that that's ripe for automation. What's not going to be automated out are things that require, um, like the certified nursing assistants or or uh, you know pe where you need a lot of person to person contact. That's not going to be auto automated out. Those are still quite low paid jobs. So we need to make those jobs better and more more well paid. But like there's there's that. So, and then I think what will happen is so some jobs will be automated out. We have to understand who who's at risk for a rapid transition and get people to start thinking about what skills I, I think the other thing is workers don't think about the skills they have everybody has skills right no absolutely. matter what job you're in you have skills you might be in a low-paid job but you have skills that cashier worker at mcdonald's has skills like they are dealing with customers they're dealing with complicated interactions with people they're managing systems so like what how do you take those skills and think about is there another job that's that i can take those skills maybe build up a couple of other skills and make a transition to something that's a little less risk for automation. And so I think that kind of information and working with training providers around that um, is, is, one of, is part of the work, at least at JFF we're interested in, is like how do we help people understand their skill basket? What, what are the skills that a job has? What are the job skills that you need to develop? What's reasonable? What are you able to, you know, like you have to learn this skill before this skill. And I think that's, that's part of the strategy. I, I think, there's also the likelihood that automation will come and your job will shift. So you won't be out of a job, but your job will change. Like you will have to do slightly different tasks. So I think the ability to adapt, be flexible, um, kind of take what you know and say, okay, my job is a little different now. I'm gonna have to do something differently. I'm gonna have to learn something new. I'm gonna have to work with this thing, which I might not be all that jazzed about. But I think that's, that's part of it too, is sort of there's, there's preparing for a different job also adapting to your current job to the realities that automation is, is presenting it to it. Um, I think long-term, we're just gonna end up with more jobs and jobs that we don't even know what they are yet. Right, yeah. You know, so we, you know, like who knows? And so I think that's the other thing in terms of skill training. Yes, we wanna train people for specific technical skills that are needed, but alongside that, we need to be training them in the kinds of skills that will help them survive long-term. Like, can they be adaptable? Can they learn? Can they figure out, can they make decisions about X, Y, or Z and make a choice and decision, have some agency about it? So I think we need folks who can be more agentful and self-determined in their own job and career pathway um, and, 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 be, and, and see the opportunities. Like, so that entrepreneurial mindset and like what opportunities are out there? How might I take this job and leverage it into the next thing? 
Absolutely. So, you know, yeah, once one door closes, yeah. two open up. So yeah. it's one of those. And almost never is sort of uh, the shifts in the larger macroeconomic workforce that l- result in you being laid off from a job. I know people feel it very personally and it hurts and you need to have the supports for people to weather that well. It's, it's not an individual person's deficit or fault. It's the fault of the system for not preparing you well to weather that. And so we need more resiliency in the system. Uh, we need to help folks understand there are opportunities. Clearly at this conference, there's thousands of jobs to install broadband that yep. need to be filled. <laughs> you <know>? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and cable that needs to be spliced and, and where are the workers, you know? Right, no, absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, as we begin yeah. to wind down, yeah. uh, you know, one of the questions that we love to ask all our guests are, is our, the first one is our back to future question. Sure. So I'm going to give you the keys to the DeLorean and you can travel back in time okay. and, and uh, you can whisper something in your ear. What, what would you uh, tell yourself to make the journey a little bit easier? Um, so um, I wish I could go back um, to 25, 26 years ago when I was doing community-based technology work and say, you know what? The same issue about people being disconnected and not having access is going to still be here 20 years ago. Can you figure out a way to maybe build in some more sustainability and infrastructure now when we have funds now so that in 20 years from now, it's not feeling like a pandemic makes us realize we're so behind? You know, that's a that's a that's a great point. And it's one of those things where it's like the the signs were there and then it it took a a global pandemic for us to finally like uh, for everyone to sort of wake up. Yeah, and a lot of very young children have borne the brunt of that. Um, a lot of folks' mental health has borne the brunt of that. I mean, for someone like me who does knowledge work, I've actually benefited a lot from COVID because now I don't have to commute five days a week into Boston from my Lowell, Massachusetts home that's 30 miles away, but um, in traffic that takes a long time. Um, but, you know, a lot of people did not benefit from from that. You know, a lot of um, retail workers, a lot of um, uh, restaurant workers, uh, hospitality folks did not did not fare well. Yeah, no, it's definitely one of those things where hopefully we're, we'll be um, better prepared for the future. Yeah. And speaking of the future, now I'm going to give you the crystal ball. And if you could look, you know, three or, or five years down the line, you know, where do you see us um, going? Yeah, I mean, I think what I hope for is that um, we have a lot more um, that young people especially see a lot more opportunities for themselves, that, that college is not the only pathway, that there are lots of amazing uh, careers out there for you and that you can find them and there's supports and resources for you and that there's funding and pathways that are clear to you and that you understand it. But I also hope that especially our, our, our tech workforce, our telecom workforce is is much more diverse than it currently is and that we have a lot of different types of people from different backgrounds in those roles who maybe traditionally have not thought of themselves as like being that kind of worker, that I'm not a tech worker or tech is not me or I'm not someone who's who's a tech person, but they could be a tech person. They just haven't, they think it's some, uh, you know, uh, geeky white guy in a sweatshirt or something. I don't know, like that there's, there's a lot of uh, robust, I mean, interesting work, this interesting problems to solve um, at various levels. And so I think there's, there's I would love to see even more people who see the possibility of themselves being in these technical roles. They're not quite, I have to go to engineering school to do it, but I can, I can learn these skills, I can be good at them, and there's a definitely fulfilling and a sustainable career for me here. 
Well, and I also think that it's an opportunity for folks to really uh, be a net positive on their own community. Yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things where they've got a chance to 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 find a good career and then ultimately um, help their their own community. Yeah, and I have seen, I mean, I think there's something about technology roles that are particularly empowering. Like I've seen it again and again, no matter what level of technology, when people solve a technical problem or can learn how to use technology, there's just an energy to that. There's like, there's some kind of energy that the this sort of learning, this sort of work has for people's self-esteem and, and ability to move forward. It's, it's amazing to me. Awesome. Hey, this has been a phenomenal Thank visit. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat and talk about Absolutely. This stuff. Felicia, if, if folks want to learn more about jobs for the future, uh, where can they go? Well, our website is very easy. It's jff.org. Um, it's very short. Uh, uh, you know, you, you can search. I'm not sure if you always will find things, but, um, you know, uh, if you search for my name, I'm there and I can help you navigate us if that's what you're looking for. But we, we definitely want to be working with folks who are at those levels of, of local community state infrastructure, trying to figure out problems, trying to work with these different system actors um, to make uh, broadband accessible for people to have better jobs, like access to better training, access to better jobs. Great place to end it. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Broadband Bunch. Until next time, we'll see you later.